Welcome to Flipping the Script, a podcast for women of color by women of color, helping you to not just navigate your way through change, but to embrace it. I am your host, Michelle Words. Dana Mendenhall is a published author, motivational keynote speaker, and global healthcare marketing executive with over 20 years of diverse, progressive experience. She shares with us her new book, The Breakthrough, and tips on building the courage to redefine no, to transform failure into success and opportunity. Let's get to it. I am not where you want to be, trying to navigate life, but it's hard to see, yeah. I am struggling to make a change. We're coming to me now is the perfect chance. With flipping the script, so you'll find your way to help you embrace any trials you face. With flipping the script, conquer every day. We're helping you find your happy place. Dana Mendenhall is a published author, motivational keynote speaker, and global healthcare marketing executive with over 20 years of diverse progressive experience highlighted by an extraordinary record of achievement. As a motivational speaker, Dana challenges her audience members to create the lives that they desire to live and to redefine the rules along their journey. Using real-world situations, Dana inspires and empowers listeners to view the courage to redefine no as a journey, not a destination. In the book, Breakthrough, featuring Dana L. Mendenhall, readers gain firsthand accounts of how a do-or-die mindset, coupled with the courage to redefine no, transforms failure into success and opportunity. Dana also reminds readers of their right to a prosperous life and inspires them to pursue this life with every fiber of their being. Dana is a native of Texas and earned her BS in industrial engineering from Texas A&M University and her MBA from Northwestern University, Kellogg School of Management. Dana defines service as the cornerstone of her life. She is passionate about investing her time and resources in others to help them disrupt their status quo thinking in pursuit of their wildest aspirations. When not speaking or mentoring, Dana can be found spending quality time with loved ones and traveling the world, enjoying champagne and chocolate. So Dana, welcome to Flipping the Script. Thank you so very much. A pleasure to be here, Michelle. And hello to everyone. So Dana, I always like to start the show with um, telling the audience exactly how we met. Do you recall? We met on two occasions. So I remember the first one at Dana Davis's house. Is that the first occasion that you remember? No, it, it isn't. Maybe we did meet at her house first. At a cookout. Okay. Because, you know, I thought it was the New Year's Eve party. I think that was the first time that we actually met. Okay. We went out New Year's Eve with a few friends 
And we went to a club. I can't remember the name of it. There in Dallas. In well, Dallas. in the Dallas area. Right. I know the club. Neither of us live here. So I can remember uh, the club. It's a little jazz club, but I the name slips. Right. Exactly. I think that was the first time. And then maybe we saw each other again at the barbecue, possibly. Okay. But anyway, we met through mutual friends in Dallas, Texas. We did. Because at that point, had you ever lived outside of the United States? I had not lived, heavily traveled, not lived. Okay. Yes. So at that time, we neither one of us were expats, but since both of us have been. Yes. So, and that was, I don't, I, that I moved out of the United States in 2014. Mm -hmm. So we would have had to have met, you know, at least a couple of years, maybe before then. Before then. Okay. Then it would have been at that club first. Uh, yep. Yeah, okay. Then <laughs> she's yeah. like, then that's when it would have been. Yes. So, so since then, Dana, you have done a lot of different things. And I know that you were in industrial engineering. Yes. So you've made a transition from okay. that. At that time, were you still in engineering? I was not. At that time, I had made the transition a long way that took me to the marketing pathway, which is where I have remained for about the last decade and a half. So what made you make that change, that decision? To That's a pretty um, drastic change from engineering, because it seems like, you know, you've you switched sides of your brain. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly. So thank you for the question. I'd love to talk about this. And this is really kind of an area where I begin to redefine knowing my life. So as you said, I was trained as an industrial engineer. I love math and science. I also had the best parents. So I knew that service was a part of me and healthcare was a natural fit for me. So at that time, math, science, healthcare landed an engineering role in you know, one of America's top 50 fortune companies, had a very, very successful career. And throughout that career, leading engineering teams, leading manufacturing teams, what I discovered is behind the products we were making were lives, lives that were being impacted, enhanced because of the work that we did. And so I said, with my curious mind, this isn't enough for me. I need to see who's using the product and how it's impacted. So after deciding that engineering was good, but it wasn't quite good enough, I took successive lateral, and I want to say lateral moves. I went from engineering. I went to logistics and supply chain. I went to supply planning. I then did the unthinkable. As you said, I went from the left side of my brain where A plus B always equals C. Even if you don't have time on that engineering test, it equals C. And then I went to the right side of my brain where A plus B never equals C. It's always great. It's always maybe. It's always another nice. way. And I was a sales rep out in Southern California. And with that role, uh, it taught me just the immense lessons that I think formed the foundation for me as the healthcare leader that I am today. So I went into a sales role and that Michelle didn't turn out quite too well in the beginning. In the very beginning, I failed. I wasn't a good listener because I took an engineering mindset into a non-technical field sales. Right. I did most of the talking. I didn't let my customers participate in the solution. So them holding the ultimate power, they threw me out. They told me, no, they didn't want to buy from me. 
So when I got my first commission check, which was a rude awakening to where will you live and what will you eat? (laughs) Walked away from this almost six figure salary. You have to redefine. No, you have to start thinking differently. Hunger and, and being broke are great motivators for most people. They certainly were for me. And again, I had had a level of achievement, successive roles, lateral roles, but successive with the support of the organization because I knew I had an end in mind. So I went out to Southern California, failed, completely fell on my face, got back up on my feet due to the work of a Lloyd Lowry, who was my division sales manager. And I be- began to bring healthcare uh, leaders, doctors, physicians, nurses out to Southern California to test our products in labs. I went from the bottom of the barrel as a sales rep to the top rookie of the year and successive award-winning sales rep throughout my career in sales. And then the aha moment hit. It felt Mm -hmm. good, but it was too short term. So the balance between the engineer and the sales rep came together into marketing. Marketing is about problem solving. It's about influencing. It's about creating solutions and thinking ahead before anyone is there with you. And I have been blessed to have the DNA from mom and dad Dad is the chemical engineer, a chemist, excuse me. My mother is the gerontologist. That came together, perfect DNA. I put those two things together in my career, engineering, sales, marketing. And I've had a phenomenal career, a career of many ups, equally as many downs, many lessons that I've had to unlearn and undo. But in the end, redefining no for me, telling those 13 interviewers who didn't want me to be uh, a sales rep wanted me to stay an engineer, but took a chance on me that I was worth the bet. So I took a long way to get to marketing, but I tell people it was always in my DNA. I just didn't take a traditional path to get there. Right. And so then when you made the first time that you heard no, what adjustments did you make to get back on the right path? I think this is such an important question because so many times when we hear no, we take that as a sign to go sit down in the audience and allow someone else to speak from the podium. And this is so important for women in corporate America, and especially women of color, to have a very strong network, to have a network of both mentors who you go to when you get the no's, who help you problem solve to convert them into yeses, and then sponsors who believe in you. And you may not even know who they are, but they know who you are because your work's and your contributions have spoken for you. And they feel that having you as a part of their sponsorship toolbox actually enhances their career as well. So digging into that mentoring network, digging into that sponsorship, I didn't take no. I kept going because I knew that there was something beyond just uh, manufacturing the product, packaging it, sterilizing it, and then sending it off. I wanted to be closer to those who used it. And so I shopped around. I positioned myself. I shared my value proposition with those in corporate America until I had some takers. And when I got those takers to take a chance on me, it came with all types of contractual legalese, as you can imagine. Here's this. Here's what you have to do. They did everything to distract me, Michelle. I lost my salary. As as I said, they said, if you really want to be a sales rep, you're going to be a sales rep the commission, all of those things. They tested me with that. They even tested me and said, there's a perception that when you're in a technical career and you're corporate, you have the four walls of corporate to protect you. 
And, and any sales rep will tell you that. So they wanted to know what was my support system and where was that support system going to come from? Because I was going to be out doing sales and doing other things and I was going to get a lot of no's and could I handle it? And so I couldn't answer the question that I, way I really wanted to is if you look at my the color of my skin and the background of my character, you will know that my entire life has been built around support systems that don't exist in institutions such as these. My support system is built in my self-confidence. It's built in my family. It's built in those who've invested in my career, my mentors and my sponsorships. And they have open doors and open telephone lines for me to tap into. As we talk about this, I want to encourage your listeners. Everyone needs to have their own board of directors. Every major corporation has a board of directors. You know why they have that? To help guide them, protect them, to test them against their mission and vision. Well, the last time I checked, if you're going to dedicate most of your life, 12, 16, 20 hours a day to a corporation, it should be important to you. And you should have your board of directors, those people who are going to tell you, yes, take a chance here, help you work through those challenges, tell you if you're being true to yourself. So make sure you know who your board of directors are as well, so that those no's become easier to absorb and you are better positioned to flip them into a yes. Exactly. Yes, because it's easy for your your ego to get damaged, your self-confidence to get bruised, and you need someone to help patch it up and keep you pushing forward. And again, you don't always get that, as you said, in your corporate environment. So you do need to have your own circle that will be able to help push you along and encourage you. Now, when you were making all of these transitions, though, you were within the same company. Is that correct? All of the transitions were within the same company, my first 10 and a half years. So as my colleagues were consistently elevating, I was consistently plowing and driving and digging and learning as much as I could. What I didn't know at the time, but I know now, is that to have a stronger or broader base gives you more opportunity to elevate as opposed to a narrow base, you go straight up. And we all understand the the, the dynamics of physics and so forth. So I invested my- You were building that foundation. I was building that foundation, absolutely. And now, where are you in relation to where they are? That's where, you know, it really tells that what you did, you took your time, you built your foundation. And now I'm sure that you've probably reached higher goals than they have, higher peaks. What, than what some will, of the colleagues that you've had. Yeah, absolutely. What I will say is that every investment made in me, every failure that um, knocked me down, uh, every wind and prayer that got me back up has enabled me to reach the highest heights. I never dreamed as a child that I would be head of the marketing and strategy division for a global Fortune 500 corporation one of the most admired pharmaceutical industry companies and one who has a very important mission as we look at donation and the impact on our community from a COVID-19 perspective. So I tell people it's important to know that don't confuse what you see today with what had to happen, that 10 years of digging, plowing, investing while others are progressing It just speaks to the importance of keeping your eye on your prize and your passion, because there were days when I looked at others and said, hey, they're already a director and I'm still a major. 
when you build that foundation and demonstrate your ability to be able to translate between different functions and listen, when you are able to articulate what you want your career path to be, when you are able to articulate, not someone articulated for you, not someone do that for you, but when you're able to do that, you typically find success. And I say typically because there were times when I was not successful. Right. So then when did you make the decision or how was the decision made? Because then you were in a leadership role at that time when you moved to Switzerland. Yes. So this is a very, very important uh, turning point in my life for redefining no. And redefining no is my platform uh, where I encourage, as you said uh, in the very beautiful introduction, Michelle, I encourage women to live the life of their wildest dreams and change the rules along the way. So my decision to go to Switzerland was both a professional and a personal decision. Very quickly from the personal decision to paint the background for you, my mother, who was the rock of our family, who was one of my greatest cheerleaders at this time was suffering from Alzheimer's and she had a very rapid form. So at this point, my mother was now in a facility and I was her caregiver. And that was manageable when I was in Chicago, Illinois with my employer progressing through the organization. Now I had to ask myself, how does this happen from Zurich, Switzerland? That opportunity was presented to me. So that was challenge number one. The second piece was professionally. I had the good fortune of being on a team, and let me be clear, good fortune, aka blessed and favored to be on a team where I could thrive. I had a leader who valued me, valued what I brought to the table, saw my authenticity, stepped aside and let me go. And he found success in seeing me grow and develop. And so I call it the dream team. It was, there were four men and me. None of the men look like me, just by the way. And we were running the U.S. business. And at this time, we were outperforming corporate organizational objectives and goals. And so promotional opportunities came along with that high visibility, high reward, high contribution. Expect that in in your actually demand that in your career. So at this time, one of the, the head got promoted to the president. The head of the division got promoted to general manager. The other leader got promoted to the U.S. president, and then it was Dana's turn. So um, at this point, just imagine this was September. So now it's October, November, and I'm being told that people are literally going to my my old leaders, going to HR. What's going on with Dana? Why isn't Dana promoted? Dana was a part of this team. So there were people, again, who were sponsoring and advocating for me on my behalf, and I didn't know it. So then it was Christmas, but you have those conversations where they give you that. Let me give you a good fuzzy feeling. Dana, we're working on it. Dana, yeah, we want this to happen. We want you to have a great role when you go over, but we can't promise that. At this time, I was a senior director and I should say an accomplished senior director with tremendous results, a clear path of achievement. And so I thought Zurich, Switzerland. This checks off two boxes on my career path. Again, a career path where I've defined who I am, what my passions are, and what I want to do in ways to achieve that. So I'm then being told, well, Dana, we're definitely going to get you to Switzerland, but it may be a lateral. 
So here's challenge number two. I'm going to disrupt my life. I'm going to leave my heartbeat, my mother, at her most vulnerable state. And I'm going to go to a country where there are no people who look like me, who speak the way I speak. And you want me to go over and to take the responsibility, yet you are not positioning me to have the authority that goes along with the accountability. So this was my dream. I wanted to live internationally and work globally. Everything was here, but the right tools for me to get the job done. After all, I'd already performed. I knew what the business needed. And so I had to redefine my moment at, of no at that time and to state my non-negotiables. I stated, if I am not promoted to vice president, as every other team member has been promoted, then I will decline the offer. It will be a message from the organization and I will address and adopt to that message. What is so important about that example, and I would like for you to take away is people see, hey, she went to Switzerland. She lived there for you know three years. She, she loved it. What they didn't see is my peers who did the same work that I did were promoted without question. I had to question. I had to define what my guardrails were, what my standards were in order to go. And this is what happens when you are clear and concise and your words and your work speak for you, you require people to shift and take action. And they won't always shift and take action. I wanna be clear about that. I've been blessed in my career, most of the time they have, but when they don't, guess what? You shift, you change your environment, you change your atmosphere. So that's how I got to Switzerland. It was a wonderful experience. It changed me more in my life professionally and personally than any other role that I've had. So I'm extremely grateful for that role. I am extremely thankful for the opportunities that I had, the hiccups, the setups, the successes, the failures. Uh, but most importantly, I am thankful that I have had a community of people invest in me to help me understand when I should redefine no and when I don't, when I should shift. Yes. So speaking of shifting, then you made a shift then when you left Switzerland. I did. So what made you make that decision? That's a great, uh, great question. So I'm in Switzerland and, and, and I don't know, Michelle, uh, the, the life of an expat is going to be something that's, you know, archaic pretty soon. Many organizations are requiring that you either localize which means you live, give up some of your citizenship, you go and stay in the country, or that you go back to the U.S. So at a time that I am an expat, and what they don't tell you all the time is an expat is, boy, do they give you the red carpet going. It's coming back that becomes a challenge because you've really kind of been out of sight, out of mind of your stakeholders and you went over to a specific role. There has to be a specific role for you to come back to. Now, obviously, you want that role to be a promotional role, not a lateral. And many of them are not promotional. So I learned through a little bit of turmoil that many expats actually come back in transition. So I was presented with an opportunity to actually come back and to take advantage of all of my functional diversity, as well as my geographic diversity, and go to one of, uh, again, America's largest healthcare corporations and to run the U.S. region uh, from a marketing standpoint. 
to be responsible from an enterprise standpoint of how we engage our customers on the journey and how we create value for them. So after a very uh, difficult decision, but a very confident decision, I decided to leave my current employer to repatriate back to the U.S. and to start with a new organization. So tell me about that, because that's a lot of transition, probably even more so than your initial transition when you moved abroad, because at least you were with the same organization. Yes. So, you know, I hear from a lot of expatriates about the difficulty in repatriating. Yes. So that's a challenge in itself. So between that and then making the adjustment to moving to another company, how did you navigate that change? Through, through a lot of grace and prayers, I can tell you, if you had told me before I left that going would be easy, coming home would be difficult professionally and personally, I would have bet you an annual year salary, expat salary, which is, you know, double. It was very difficult. The corporation that I was leaving, however, was very supportive. They very much honored the contributions that I had made over the decade. And that's why it's so important that your words uh, align with your works and that they speak for you. So they were very supportive. It was just downright uncomfortable and confusing because you're trying to exit one company, enter another company, and you're doing so across the pond. You know, you're doing so internationally. And so you're now transitioning back. You have to ensure that you can leave the country when you get back, you have to start back over through your background checks and all. So although it was a, a, a very tedious process, I'm just convinced every time I run into a challenge or to rough patches, there is something to be gained and something to be learned. Doors Absolutely. don't close and open for any reason. When a door is open, I feel an obligation to walk through it. So again, my previous employer was very supportive. They were engaged. Uh, until I returned to the States and even after the new company picked up. So the, the really hard thing for me was really just walking the line between the two companies ethically and responsibly. Of course, of course. So would you be an expat again? Would you consider moving out of the U.S.? I would not be an expat again, but I will move out of the U.S. I have to share for you to understand how important this was. I, I want you to go back with me the 2016. Okay, we got the title together. We got the job together. It's time to go to Switzerland. I am so excited. My board of directors is excited. Two of my members, my sister and my friend are going with me. So we travel to Zurich and we get there and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? I don't see anyone who looks like me. I can't speak the language. Uh, and, be, and, and, and and literally, I have to be the talk of the town because everyone, it is not a kind of a glaze, you know, glance looking at you. It is a, you know, and so I literally would have to adjust to being stared at, uh, to, to being asked questions when I did encounter someone who spoke English. Is your family here? No, my family is not here. Oh, you're not married. Oh, you don't have children. What's wrong with you? What happened to you? Cultural differences. Remember, I go to a country, uh, Zurich, I go to Switzerland. Women didn't have the right to vote until in the 1970s. Family, family, yeah, I couldn't believe it. 
Family is the cornerstone. Women are applauded, applauded for building a family. Women who have children pay less taxes than those who don't. So the differences of gender were really very, very clear. However, the advancements being made, uh, the prime minister being a female and, and actually blessed and favored where I go and where I walk, actually sat next to her in a restaurant. Once again, everyone's staring at us, but I'm used to the staring by now. They're staring because they're like, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> she was actually the prime, uh, past prime minister, I should say, had an opportunity to, to, to build and to really talk about the rich heritage and so forth in Switzerland. But imagine going somewhere, not knowing the language, not knowing, seeing anyone who looks like you, and all you have is you, and really not being able to, can't drive because can't read the traffic signs because can't read the language. So you have to ride the tram. And so you're, you, you, you revert to uh, the things that you learned as a child. So what do we do as a child? We show our expressions. What do we do? We count one, two, three. What are, colors, red, green, purple. So I reverted back there. And so some of my most important lessons, connecting with people at their core and not on their surface. Getting to the to the simplicity of matter, being an effective, concise communicator, these core lessons benefited me not only in life, but also in work. And it taught me that I, as an American, took things for granted. In Switzerland, oh, yes. you don't make noise after nine o'clock. You don't run the vacuum. You don't do those things. We call those liberties. Uh, our Swiss <laughs> call those, uh, you know, lack of courtesy. Um, you don't get cable. You don't get uh, an apartment. You don't get um, Wi-Fi until you have your citizenship card. Your citizenship card. I can't even say it's like our birth certificate or passport because those don't really mean a lot of things in the U.S., but that is your access. So I literally had to revert back to childlike behavior to my core, which taught me so much about myself and how to connect with people to have the experiences that I have in Switzerland. And I'm so grateful. I traveled the world while living my passion. I met all different kinds of people, all different kinds of cultures, all different kinds of societies. So you don't have to put me in an expat program to get me back. I'm going back by myself. I will live internationally because it taught me how to balance work and life and still be productive. It taught me how to think more broadly and diverse because unlike going to Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas, where we have many commonalities, I'm going from Switzerland to France to Italy, and there's something new to learn, to eat, to do, to dance, to travel, to see in an hour's flight. So um, it's 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 it's, right. it's that don't don't taste it if you if you don't want to you know indulge in it. So I will go right. and don't have to be an expat. Yes, I hear you on that. You know, which is interesting what you mentioned before about when you came back, then it seemed that there wasn't necessarily a place for you because you had you were away from your, your stakeholders. But it seems that they would actually, I don't know, I guess this is more the American way. I would think now, I guess, as my experience as an expatriate, that this is something that they would value because you're bringing that unique perspective back with you that they don't have. And so that should give you more value. But it sounds like 
not necessarily. And as I think about it, you know, the American way, I could see them not necessarily appreciating that because, yeah. They don't, you can't exactly. appreciate what you don't know. And, and, and exactly. in fairness to the organization, I wanted my European stint to count for something. So therefore, to me, that meant promotion, not lateral. They had opportunities. They were not the ones that were right for me. And I actually had the opportunity to stay in Europe. And again, for family reasons, I felt best to come home temporarily. Right. Yes, I understand that. Absolutely. So now, Dana, you made so many transitional decisions, you know, within the past couple of years. And then another one, apparently, is writing a book. (laughs) So how did you fit that in? What motivated you then? to write the book and um and and decide on redefining no as your topic for the book absolutely so so those who know me know that i chronicled my journey throughout europe everything that i experienced i wanted others to experience who followed me on uh, social media uh and, and michelle uh came and we had us a good time and we chronicled that as well Yes, I did. Um, and so I literally wrote the book while I was in Switzerland because oh, okay. of the point in my life. I really I wrote and participated in the project with Johnny Wimbry, Les Brown, and others while I was away in Switzerland. And there were just so many opportunities for me to redefine. No, I was not the standard. I was not the example. 8% of corporate employees are expat. Guess how many look like Michelle and me? less than 1%, even less than that gender-wise. So there were so many lessons that I was learning and what I thought was meant to hurt me was actually helping me. And so I just started thinking back over my life and I, I think about, you know, and I talk about in the book, Breakthrough, Breakthrough featuring Dana L. Mendenhall. There's a chapter two is my chapter, Redefining No. It started back when I was a kid in grade school, uh, jumping from the, the the student seat to the to the teacher seat when the teacher was taken away from an urgent uh, health example. Then going on to college, the only D I ever had on my paper was in my name. Dana got a D on my first chemistry test, <laughs> me down. Then went into corporate America successful, successful career, sailing at the top of my game, which made an impossible, almost impossible transition from engineering to sales happened. And then I get knocked down again. I'm about to starve and not have a place to live because I asked for this. Come on. And then, you know, going to Europe, having the, to transition back with a new company. And even, you know, Michelle, as recently as I transitioned back with that company, I'm sure you and, and all of the listeners can relate to, we are brought up to be loyal. You stay with the company. Our parents taught us that you don't jump companies. So previously, my last two companies, I was there 10 and a half years. I have recently left my company that I repatriated back with and have joined a new organization. Again, one that gets me closer to my passion, one that gets me closer to my desire to serve others through healthcare. So when I think about those situations, when I think about everything that's happening, I wrote this book because I felt like there was something missing in all of the success trailers that we were seeing. 
when you see all the successful figures, when you see everyone at the top of their game, it almost is a point where we disconnect and lose those who need to hear the story the most because we talk about what went right and not what went wrong. And so I want you to know that I've had to spend my entire career working very hard to redefine no, to get up gracefully when knocked down, to, in, to, to dig into that mustard seed faith that I have when I had cried so hard and got tired of hearing my own voice because I allowed the opinions of others to overtake what I and what God thought of me. And so I want people to know that you are responsible for your destiny and you have the power to redefine the rules, to change the game, to move along. And then as I'm feeling this and I'm doing this and I'm gaining ground and I'm being successful in an entire new environment where I couldn't even speak the language, I said, people need to know. They need to know that it is through failure and rejection that you can turn it around and get opportunity and you know limitless uh, experiences that you otherwise wouldn't have. I tell people success confirms what you already know. If you want to grow, then you have to fall in love with rejection and you have to fall in love with failure and, and recondition your mind and unlearn life's lessons. So this book opportunity came about. I said, I have a story to tell. I want people to hear it. I interviewed with, again, Johnny Wimbry and his team. They selected my story to be featured. And then that's where we are. This is my book. And I'm very proud of it. And you should be. And again, you are in the position, Dana, of being the only female and, you know, out of the group. Yes. So how, how did that come about then? Uh, happenstance in life. Happenstance in life. It, it, there was no select reasoning. I think we all have a story to tell. It was Nick, it was Johnny, and it was Les. We happened to be the four featured on the cover. There are other ladies that are included deeper in the book, but nothing special, nothing random. God just saw fit for me to, to take this podium at this time. Very good. Yes. Because, I mean, you're standing with some big names as yes. well. And, and definitely then you have to be qualified to be there with them. Can you tell us then um, maybe one tip and you've, you've given, you know, some tidbits, of course, along this conversation so far, but in redefining no, what would be one of the uh, one key that you would advise women on how to successfully do that? Sure. Redefining no starts from the core of who you are. And in order for you to redefine no, you must know who you are. And I think that in some of the women that I encounter, some of my earlier stage years throughout corporate, trying to fit in versus belonging and knowing that once I got to the table, it would shift and make room for my talent and my contributions. I suffered because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my non-negotiables were. I did know how to articulate my passion for fear of people judging me and thinking I'm being too ambitious, being too aggressive, or in other situations, shrinking when I felt that they felt I was being too aggressive. So I want to fit and hide versus right. sit up and contribute. And so the advice that I would leave women before you do anything, whether it's stay in corporate America and progress 
whether it's leave corporate America to become an entrepreneur, whether it's to take a sabbatical, become a caregiver, whatever you desire to do, know who you are. And you say, yeah, I know who I am. I I'm good with that. But I just kind of have this going on. And, and I would advocate that women are the best cheerleaders. They are the best fans in the stand, but when it comes to coming to the podium and advocating for ourselves, we suffer. We somehow have a disconnect that the value that I give others, that they're so deserving of, that I don't deserve that. And so I sit back and I'm quiet. And therefore I rob myself of living my best life, living at my highest aspirations, performing at my highest levels, and most importantly, you rob people who look like you, who look like me, from seeing those examples that they need to see to move forward. So my best advice to you is don't struggle with, don't struggle with an identity crisis. Define who you are for you. What are your negotiables? What are your non-negotiables? Stand in your truth. Let your passions lead the way. Life is going to be difficult no matter what road you take. So while you're sitting back and shrinking, while you're sitting back and fitting in as opposed to belonging and being at the table, it's, it's difficult to do both. So you might as well be at the top of your game. Know who you are. Very good advice. Absolutely. So now tell me what is next for Dana Mendenhall? Wow. Ooh, I haven't thought about that. You know, I have learned from a um, spiritual walk to take every day as it comes, to be in the moment, to not miss a moment. My past has taught me when I plan too far, I fail because I'm missing the lessons, the tools, the resources that I need in the day and in the moment to help me one, two years down the line. What I can tell you for certain is that I will continue to serve I will continue to lead. I will continue to tell my story. I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I want to write a book. Oh, I want to live to Switzerland. I didn't even dream those things. That's how, that's how the, the power of favor works. But I was prepared for the moments when they presented themselves because I took advantage of what was the lesson for today. I also want to encourage everybody to have a healthy dose of self-confidence. And this is why you must know yourself, because there are some things in this life that cannot happen unless you do it. It was ordained in your DNA that you do it and no one else can do it like you. So it's very important. I want to continue to learn who I am. I want to continue to serve. I want to continue to tell people that failures and rejection are opportunities to say yes. And the best way to get something done is to prove them wrong for you and not for them. And to just live the life of your wildest dreams. Uh, you and I have traveled the world. You and I have talked to leaders we never dreamed of. If I had to guess what's next, I'm going to keep one of Oprah's chairs warm. I'm going to talk to Oprah. So I thank All God right. for the platform flipping the script that's preparing me. I'm focused on this today. Michelle, be my lesson so I can be ready for that moment. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you know what? We can make as many plans as we want. And there's, yes. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I tell you, life will have its own plans yeah. anyway. So you, you really have to roll with the punches. So like you said, be prepared for them. 
and what you have already done. Embrace it. Take advantage yeah. of it. Take the good out of it and grow from it. And do it with grace and style. My mother was a seamstress. She lived her, her life serving uh, seniors for over 40 years, but her passion was sewing, cooking, arts and crafts. And she, I loved the way she would talk to me about everybody falls down. Who cares? Get up gracefully and make it make it something special to do. So <laughs> I'm OK with that. I'm OK with get it. Knock me down. I want to get back up. It's, it's when you get back up that you get the lessons on the way. That's right. Very true. Thank you so much. So now, Dana, tell us, where can we find your book? Absolutely. So you can go to www.redefiningno.com. There you will find uh, a place to purchase autograph books, or you can find a link to take you to Amazon to purchase a book there, or you can go directly to Amazon. And if I see you in the airport and you tell me how you redefine, no, I'll even autograph a book that you got from Amazon. But please go to www.redefiningno.com. There are specific steps that tell you how to develop the mindset and courage through my failures, through my, uh, uh, my rejection to help you get on the path. Also, go to www.redefiningno.com. Please sign up for the newsletter. You're going to hear from me. And one thing I love about this platform is it, it, it hosts the world stage. It hosts Michelle flipping the script. It hosts so many other women. I believe the world stage is as large as it needs to be. So very shortly, you're going to be hearing from women and their testimonies and their own words and their faces around how they redefine no. And so if you are a woman who has a story that the world needs to hear around how you redefined no and made life's no's your yes, write me, tell me about it. I will feature you on this platform. This is about us, a community of women who redefine no. And you are definitely an inspiration. And I'm sure that there are a lot of jewels that you can share as well. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dana. Let's take a look because we do have some comments here. Please. Um, uh, how do you, Tante, I hope I'm saying your name correctly, uh, Williams wants to know, how do you create a strong network? Because your network is phenomenal. <laughs> and I know your network and I know they're phenomenal. How can someone build their network, maybe even outside of their circle of friends? Absolutely. Again, this is a lesson that I had an opportunity to hone on in Zurich. How many people have you met and you've asked them a question and they've not want to help you? Not, not many. You start off, you talk to people about who they are, what they like. You connect with them on the most common denominator. And then you begin to exchange value, not always take it, not always give it, but to exchange value. So look for those people that you admire. Look for those people who are different than you, who can reaffirm things in you that you can't see in yourself. Look for those people who challenge you and then just connect. We're human. Go back to numbers, one, two, three, colors, red, yellow, green, find the most common denominator and tell them, I'd like to connect with you. I value this in you. And notice that I didn't say, wait for someone to reach out to you. Your network is your responsibility. It's just like a house. If you want a house, those bricks and, and that cement are gonna put themselves on top of one another. You have to do that. 
So you consider every opportunity that you meet someone, that you're in someone's presence. If you ladies can see the chat, I can't see the chat. If you see a name there, grab it. Hi, I saw you were on this chat. How did it impact you? Start a dialogue, market yourself. When you know who you are, that becomes easy to do. So build your network. It starts with you. Lowest common denominators. We are all human and we want to help. Share value. That is very key, sharing value. Because if people are willing to help you, especially when you are willing to help them Absolutely. as well. Yeah, so it definitely is a give and take. Yeah. Let's see, do we have any other questions here? A lot of comments. I don't know if this is a question about, or a comment about sharing your value proposition. Mm. Do that, share your value proposition. Difficultly. Uh, and, and it all started with an exercise that I did in marketing for the marketers and those who like yourself have really gotten into platforms where you have to promote your services, your value. It starts off. I started with a positioning statement and the positioning statement goes something like I am blank. I like blank. I'm willing to blank. And if I, if you do this for me, this is what I'll do for you. And so it kind of started off as a positioning statement, but then, that exercise is just so robust and it doesn't get to the core of who you are. Being able to express your value means that you know what your value is. You know what appreciates it and what depreciates it. And that actually starts with an intimate conversation about yourself. Who am I? Who do I say I am? Forget the world. Who do I say I am? In my case, yeah. not who do you say I am? What do I want to do? What am I good at? There ought to be some things that you're good at that nobody on earth can tell you you're not good at. And then that's what you want to pursue and you want to go through. And then you have to be authentic. Just because you don't articulate your value proposition doesn't mean you aren't selling it. Your spirit, your energy, your presence, the way you engage, the way you respond, the way you connect with others is all selling your value proposition. So that's why I say you must first start with your core and who you are, because if you're saying one thing and doing something else, you're creating a disconnect and you're robbing yourself of that. Know who you are and then it becomes natural. You, you're easy. It's easy to say, I like this or I don't like that. And it's not that it's putting you ahead of anything else. It's putting you in the best position so that you can contribute to life, to society, to others and pay it forward to those who've paid it forward for you to be where you are. So know who you are and then just tell the world that. Yes. Know who you are, you know, and, and I, I always end up reverting back to this, but again, if you ever have an opportunity to live abroad, yes. would you say, because I know that you knew who you were before you moved to Switzerland, but don't you feel that once you're able to kind of, no, <laughs> once you're able to really step away from, you know, what the expectations were and everything that you had in the United States and you were able to redefine yourself in Switzerland, you were able to find yourself. Would, yes. would you agree with that? I would. And 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 I, you paused a little when I said, I listen, I thought I knew myself going to Switzerland. I, I would venture to say most people who take an expat assignment and it's not an assignment where the culture is similar to what you are accustomed to, you're going to think that you know yourself too. When I tell you 
it broke me down to the lowest level of life. Everything that I had confidence in, my ability to communicate, my ability to connect, my ability to think, it was taken away from me because I couldn't speak the language. It was taken away from me because there weren't people who were there to have a support system. My board directors slept while I worked and I worked while they slept. So we had to make time for those meetings and they always were there. I want to be clear about that. But there were so many days that I walked alone, walking down Bonhofstrasse, walking through Zurich, walking through so many countries, wondering who I am. And then if you really want to intensify the pressure, people looking at you and what's right. wrong with you in, 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 in the banking industry. Let me give you an example. Because of the financial banking crisis, that pre past President Obama closed the loophole, Switzerland and the Swiss banks were heavily penalized for loopholes that originated in the U.S. So we now have a new uh, administration coming in and I need a checking account. Now, isn't it just simple that I need a checking account? I earned a couple of pennies, thank God, took them with me to Switzerland. Do you know, Michelle, I am sitting down interviewing, interviewing for a checking account and they will let me know if they want my money. They will let me know. Now I could have killed my grandmother, robbed a store, uh, had lunch on the way, come in soaked with blood. And in the US, if I brought them X amount of dollars, where's your social security number? So we can give you your, your tax ID. That's all we need. It completely changed me. I had to ask myself, well, why am I single? Well, why don't I have kids? You know, <laughs> it made me question the core of who I was. And I cried. It hurt me at times. It hurt me when people said ugly things to me because I didn't look like them. When they asked me to get them glasses of water in a restaurant. Mm. But you know what? There is power in tears. There is power in falling down and getting up. Because I knew two things. I knew that my community my family, my board of directors, and most importantly, Christ had invested too much into me to get in this experience and to sit down and that I knew nothing else. I may not be able to speak the language. I may not be able to write it, but I can work and I have open hands and an open heart. And if you're willing, I'm willing. Those core things get you back to humanity. So I didn't know who I was, but now I do. And in each experience, I have more clarity around what I can say reinforces who Dana is or is not who Dana is. My sister always talks about your yeses being your yeses and your noes being your noes. I'm a lot more clear about that. I believe everyone in life should have to live in another country to experience something different. That's when you're tested. Again, success only confirms what you already know. Rejection, challenge, setback, pushback, kickback. That tells you who you are, how you recover. And I'm proud. Absolutely. You handled it very well as well. <laughs> so I'm going to look forward to seeing you, Dana, back out living outside of the U.S. Yeah, so You have to go live someplace where I want to visit because, you know, oh. I will show up. Yes, you will. Yes, <laughs> she you already will. knows that. Yes, I'll pop up. <laughs> and we'll have a wonderful time as we did. So I'm going to have to get the list because I've narrowed it down. I'm hoping that you have one of the locations that I've picked in mind. Oh, I'm sure I do. I'm yes. sure that I do, no matter what. And I have a new location in mind also. <laughs> yeah. Well, the very best to you. And if there's anything I can do to help, please let me know. I appreciate that. Thank you. Same to yes. you as well. You guys, 
please pick up Dana's book, The Breakthrough. Yes. Please, please sign up for the newsletter. Have to sign up for the newsletter because you want to stay in touch with Dana. I'll make sure to post it as well, your website, so that everybody will be able to find you. Thank you. And you guys have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flipping the Script. If you like what you have heard, please make sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Also, I would appreciate it if you would write a review and share with your friends. And I want to hear from you. Feel free to drop me a line and let me know what you thought about this week's episode or to suggest any future topics that you would like for me to explore. Or you can just stop by and say hello. You can reach me at flippinthescript.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at flippinthescript. Want to continue the discussion? I also have a private group for ladies only on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. Bye for now. With flipping the script so you'll find